You're listening to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience relationships and where you'll gain the guidance, knowledge, and practical tools to overcome insecurity and build healthy, thriving relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. Today's episode is a Q&A style episode with a focus on anxious attachment. So if you're one of my many anxiously attached listeners, you're in luck. Today's episode is going to be covering a range of topics around anxious attachment, including what the actual process looks like in terms of overcoming or moving through your anxious attachment as you heal and grow Um, how does that feeling go away? Does it go away? What does that look like? How to deal with texting anxiety. So this might sound like a really niche question, but it's actually a question that I get several times a week when I do an Instagram Q and A, I invariably get more than one version of this question. So what, what to do when you feel anxiety around texting someone that you're dating or interested in, um, what that's about, why that might happen and what to do about it how to identify your needs as an anxiously attached person and how to cope with boundaries from an avoidant partner. Because as we know, boundaries can be really challenging, not only to set, but to be on the receiving end of if you're an anxiously attached person. So those are the questions I'm going to be talking through today. Before we dive into that, a quick announcement that my healing anxious attachment course, which is my signature program is finally going to be relaunching in a couple weeks time. I know a lot of you have been patiently waiting for this for months and months. So I am grateful for your patience and I am very happy to let you know that it's almost time. (laughs) So doors will be opening mid-December for an early January start date for the course. It was originally a six-week course. It's now going to be an eight-week course. There's just so much to put into this program Um, I'm going to be redoing a lot of the content, adding more, um, adding new modules around, you know, sexuality and developing a secure sexuality. I'm going to be adding a bonus module that you can give to your partner if you have a partner on how they can best support you. Uh, So that's a cool bonus that I'm going to be adding in addition to all the foundational modules that have been tried and tested and loved by hundreds and hundreds of people who've taken this course on things like the origins of anxious attachment, nervous system regulation and self-soothing, communicating needs, setting boundaries, navigating anxious avoidant dynamics, cultivating greater self-worth, all of these things. It is a really, really comprehensive course. And as I said, it has been tried, tested and given, you know, five stars tick of approval by hundreds and hundreds of people. So really encourage you, if you are someone who struggles with anxious attachment and you are wanting to do something about that, please sign up to the wait list so that you can access the early bird price. It's actually a really affordable course. Uh, It's 333 US dollars and there's also a payment plan available. Um, So definitely get on the wait list if you're keen and if you want to access that early bird price when doors open in a couple weeks time. Okay. The second thing quickly is just reading out the review of the week, which says, 
I'm going through a difficult time of self-exploration in conjunction with the dismantling of a toxic relationship. It's a lot to wade through when you feel like you don't know yourself, but you know something needs to change. This podcast has been able to help me navigate by giving me a fresh perspective of myself and my anxious attachment style. It's giving me the courage to choose myself by way of recognizing my patterns when that has felt impossible in the past. Thank you so very much for your kind and grounded podcast. Thank you for that beautiful review. It's really so touching and humbling. I'm so glad to be able to support you. If that was your review and you're listening to this, please send me a message on Instagram and let me know. And I will send you a small gift as a way to say thank you for taking the time. And if you'd like for me to read out your review, uh, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I select one each week. And as I said, you can claim a small prize if I read out your review on the show. Okay. So let's now dive into these Q&A questions around anxious attachment. So the first one is, will I always be anxiously attached and how does the feeling go away? Now, to be honest, this is a big question. Um, I actually have a, a whole podcast episode on you know how to heal anxious attachment. It's the most popular ever episode, unsurprisingly, given my audience, um, but <laughs> The way that I always like to explain the process of healing anxious attachment is this. As you become more secure, as you develop the tools, as you cultivate greater self-awareness, as you reprogram some of those beliefs that are keeping you stuck in patterns of low self-worth, that are keeping you from expressing needs, that are keeping you from setting boundaries, that are so fueled by a fear of abandonment, as you start to bit by bit incrementally build those muscles and rewire some of those old patterns, you start to be able to create new experiences that give you evidence of the safety of relationships. That might sound a little bit verbose and (laughs) cumbersome, so let me try and break it down a bit. The way that I describe it in my own lived experience is anxious attachment is probably always going to be my template, right, for me my starting point. And so in moments of rupture or stress or conflict in my relationship, the instantaneous response in my brain is still driven by those kinds of anxious attachment, thoughts, fears, patterns. But I've done the work so that I have the capacity to exercise choice. I am not at the mercy of that old wiring anymore. So even if my brain and body is saying, oh, that's not safe, that doesn't feel safe, oh, they're pulling away, oh, you should go after them, oh, no, he's in a bad mood, you should try and cheer him up because it doesn't feel safe when he's in a bad mood, all of those impulsive things that once upon a time I would have been so consumed by the fear and I would have just acted on because I didn't feel in control of myself, now I have so much more in the tank. So I have this capacity to choose. And that is really the experience that so many people that I work with also describe, right? So it's not like the feeling just dissolves and you never experience those feelings of anxiety again, right? That's human. We will always experience those things. And particularly when that has been your blueprint for a really long time, um, that might always be your kind of impulsive baseline. That might be the the instinct response. But as you develop the tools and as you develop the self-awareness, you have this capacity of choosing. And it's almost like your anxious attachment is just something 
in the background in your head that you can choose to not ignore because we don't want to be, you know, denying our fears and suppressing them, but you can see it as a part of you without being all of you. And you continue to build up this muscle of security that can go, okay, yeah, look, oh, my anxious attachment's coming up. Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, what about this situation doesn't feel safe for me? What do I need? Do I need to express a need? Do I need to have a conversation? Do I need to set a boundary? And you start to become that secure attachment figure to yourself. And as you become your own anchor, that allows you to build healthy relationships. And as you build healthier relationships, that in turn soothes your anxious attachment and provides less fuel for the fire, so to speak. So you're going to be less triggered because you're not going to let yourself get into situations where you're going to be triggered all the time because your relationships on the whole become safer. So there's all of these really positive feedback loops that start to happen as you start to do the work. So that's kind of a very quick explanation, the quickest I can offer of, you know, what it actually looks like to develop, you know, earned secure attachment as it's called. It's not that you'll never feel anxious again, but it's that you have the capacity of choice around your behavior and you're able to self-soothe and you're able to sort of talk yourself off a cliff. You're able to have hard conversations. And the more you do that, the easier it gets and your relationships become a lot safer and more secure as a result. Um, And so it all sort of upward spirals from there. Okay. So the next question is around texting anxiety. As I said, I get this question all the time, really surprisingly often. So how to deal with texting anxiety? We text all day, but if he replies late, I feel so triggered. So there's a couple of layers to this. Texting in general, I think we have to take anxious attachment out of the picture for a second. Texting in general is designed to kind of be addictive, right? It's just dopamine hit after dopamine hit. If you don't really have much of an understanding of dopamine, what it is, what it does, what its role is in our brain chemistry. It's essentially a neurotransmitter that is involved in the pursuit of rewarding activities. So I think a lot of people associate dopamine with pleasure, but it's more accurately described as a molecule related to pursuit. So I want more. And so when you're texting someone and it feels good every time they send you a text, then the dopamine that goes off goes, oh, I want more of that. I want it again and again and again. It's sort of like, you know, when we're eating delicious fatty or sugary food, the dopamine is less about this tastes good, what I'm currently eating. And now I'm satisfied because that was pleasurable. It's, and I want to reach for more. Okay. So it's a similar kind of mechanism, right? When we're getting in that dopamine loop of texting, because it's these little titrated bite-sized rewards that then keep us hooked and looking for the next hit. Okay. You know, it's really like dopamine is kind of the molecule that drives addiction. And we can see those similar, obviously in a different context, but see those similar mechanisms and patterns with something like texting. Now bringing anxious attachment back into it and overlaying that additional layer for anxiously attached people, very simply connection feels good disconnection feels really, really bad. Okay. So every time they text you, you know, on top of that baseline human level of, of the dopamine hit, it's like a force multiplier on that because as an anxiously attached person, you feel really good when you're connected to someone, you feel really good when you get attention from someone, you feel really good to know that they're thinking of you, that they're wanting to talk to you, that you feel that validation. 
So that's going to feel like a hundred times better than, than normal. (laughs) You're going to attribute so much more significance to that. And again, because your baseline is to be so focused on the relationship or, you know, the love interest, that's going to be occupying 99% of your mental energy anyway. And so because you're so laser focused on that, you're probably not thinking about anything else. You know, if you're texting someone all day when you're at work, you probably can't concentrate. You're probably really distracted. You're picking up your phone every two seconds to see if they've responded because that connection and that, you know, drip fed reassurance that they are interested in you feels so good and is so addictive. Now to this thing around anxiety. And if the person then doesn't reply again, we can see the other side of the coin for the anxiously attached person, disconnection feels terrifying or unpredictability, or suddenly something has changed. There's been a temperature shift and all of a sudden I'm spiraling out of control because I feel like it's slipping away from me. What do I do? Um, So it is really the other side of the coin that any kind of irregularity or inconsistency or break in the pace of texting would trigger a response in you in the same way that, you know, any other kind of disconnection, space, distance, uncertainty triggers that same fear of abandonment and kind of panic response in an anxiously attached person. So I suppose all of that to say, it makes perfect sense that you would experience texting anxiety in the context of both, you know, how the brain works and anxious attachment as a second layer on top of that. In terms of what to do about it, how to deal with it, I think recognizing that it's having an adverse impact on you is a good first step. The reality is you kind of need to wean yourself off it. And I would say the solution to this is boundaries and self-awareness. So if you know that texting all day is actually getting you to this place of feeling more anxious, more stressed, uh, less able to concentrate, less productive, less able to focus on other things, you probably need to put some boundaries around it. And a really good tip for doing that in a way that will still soothe your anxiously attached heart is to say to someone, Hey, I really love chatting with you, but I'm need to focus on work today. Let's talk later or something. Basically putting a bookend around it with reassurance as to when you're going to speak next. So don't leave it open-ended as in, you know, Oh, I just need space or I just need to concentrate. Cause obviously that's going to be really challenging for you as an anxious person, but saying like, okay, I'm going to put my phone away now. I'll talk to you later. And then at least you've got that to look forward to. You know, you're going to speak to them again later, but you're not on this cliff edge, you know, waiting for the next morsel of food that tastes so good. Because when you're in that holding pattern, it is really a drain on your energy and makes, as I said, perfect sense that you're feeling stressed and anxious about that. So that would be my advice for you is to set some boundaries around it uh, while still, you know, allowing yourself to be excited about a connection and having that, yeah, we'll talk later, but it's not going to be an all day checking my phone. Have they messaged me? Have they not messaged me? Uh, Because that lack of boundary is actually creating anxiety for you. Okay. How to identify your needs as an anxiously attached person. Again, I could and probably should do a whole episode on this. It's certainly, you know, a big part of the healing anxious attachment course is getting really clear about what your needs are and and how to articulate those and make those requests of a partner. 
And also, probably more importantly for anxiously attached people, how to start meeting some of those needs yourself. I think as a starting point, it's important to say for anxiously attached people, there's usually a pattern of self-abandonment that means you don't actually know what your needs are. And that's sort of, I suppose, baked into this question, (laughs) which is how to identify your needs. A lot of anxiously attached people don't actually know what their needs are because they are so accustomed to, you know, hovering around, orbiting around other people's moods, needs, preferences, because there is this story of I've got to make sure the conditions are just right because that's when I feel safe, when everything is good in my outer world, my relationship, in my environment. I only feel safe when everything is steady there. So I have to pour all of my energy into managing that and that's when I'll feel okay. And in that process, you kind of take on this story of if you're okay, I'm okay. And so your needs sort of get subsumed into their needs. So your imperative is just around making sure that their needs are met because then they'll be happy with you and then you will be okay. Now, as much as I completely understand that pattern and have absolutely lived it, it catches up with you. And the reality is you do have needs of your own. And it's actually really, really important that you learn to identify them and learn to start filling that cup because that self-abandonment pattern is really unsustainable. And it leads to, you know, not only a loss of self and low self-worth, but also often resentment and frustration and, you know, this kind of indignant feeling of, oh, I pour so much of myself into meeting your needs and you don't even care about my needs when in reality, we haven't done a very good job at asking for anything or or letting our needs be known. So it's really, really important in the path to becoming more secure that you get a handle on your needs um, and start taking up a bit more space in that regard. So in terms of the practical step, and as I said, this probably deserves its whole own episode, but my sort of tip that I always offer people on this, and it's a very effective shortcut is look at the things that you complain about or that trigger you. And usually if you trace down underneath those, you'll reach a need. So for example, if it really, really bothers you when you are in your partner's company, you're sitting together and they are on their phone or they're kind of distracted, not really paying attention to you. And that's something that evokes a real response in you, really activates you, makes you feel upset, hurt, frustrated, angry, whatever the feelings might be, that's a good sign that you have a need for connection that's not being met or you have a need for presence that's not being met. Some other things that might be really triggering or that you might often complain about might be, you know, poor communication. If someone's running late and they don't let you know, um, if someone is unreliable and they are a bit flaky or you you don't feel a sense of steadiness and that you can really depend on them. That might point you to the fact that you have needs around consistency and stability um, and reliability that are currently not being met. And for a lot of anxious people, that will be the case because consistency is so important when the trigger is inconsistency, right? Another one that anxiously attached people might relate to is honesty and openness anything that feels like secrecy, even if it's not secrecy, if it has the slightest whiff of secrecy about it, is likely to be really distressing, upsetting, 
activating anxiety inducing for an anxiously attached person. So you can flip that on its head and go, okay, I noticed that that doesn't work for me. Uh, what do I need there? I need us to have honest, open conversations about things. I need us to have those channels of communication where we can both bring things to each other and everything feels like it's out in the open rather than, you know, swept under the rug. So it's a really, really like quick and easy way to figure out what your needs are. And the reality is when our needs, those big needs are being met, you'll notice that the little things are far less triggering. So if you're, you know, in a big picture sense, if your need for connection is being met and you're proactively taking steps to get that need met both within and outside your relationship, whether that's with friends or yourself or whatever, then your partner being a bit distracted and on their phone once or twice, you know, it's not likely to evoke that same big volcanic response in you because you don't have all of this stuff rumbling away under the surface that you are repressing. So definitely go through that process, start making a note of it going, okay, that thing really triggered me. What's that about? How can I flip it on its head and figure out what the need is? Uh, And then formulate that need into a request and take that to your partner or figure out ways that you can do that yourself. Again, we go through all of this in a lot of detail in healing anxious attachment, including, you know, workbook exercises and the whole bit. So definitely something to think about if, if you relate to that struggle. Okay. Last but not least, how to cope with boundaries from an avoidant partner. So as I said, most anxiously attached people tend to really struggle with boundaries across the board. And while most of us think of being bad at boundaries as meaning you're not very good at setting them, what I see a lot of with anxiously attached people is that they're also very, very bad at respecting boundaries. Um, And so a big part of developing that muscle is learning what a healthy boundary feels like on the receiving end. Okay. Learning to, if someone says I need some space or I, you know, like some time to myself or any other sort of reasonable, healthy boundaries, learning to actually respect those rather than taking them as an affront, because for a lot of anxious people, boundaries feel like a slap in the face. Boundaries feel like disconnection and rejection. But I think that like noticing that and going, okay, this feels uncomfortable for me, but it's actually not appropriate for me to just bulldoze someone else's boundaries and push against them. And in doing so, I'm likely to be pushing this person away because I'm actually disrespecting them by disrespecting their boundaries. That's a really important part of your growth. And it's a place where anxiously attached people need to get pretty honest about their part in the dynamic because it's really easy to blame particularly an avoidant partner saying, oh, they want all this space and rah, 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 what's wrong with them? When really like you might be pushing them further into that space by not respecting it. Now, of course, I'll offer the caveat that sometimes I get messages from people saying, oh, my partner said they needed space and I haven't heard from them in six weeks. Uh, That's not the kind of space I'm talking about here. And of course, boundaries are a negotiation. It's not just one person getting to lay down the law and the other person having to you know, fall into line. Boundaries are a negotiation, but uh, your ability to negotiate and find a healthy middle is really going to be vastly improved by taking some of that emotion out of it, not taking boundaries so personally, reminding yourself that boundaries are healthy and important in order for us to build safe relationships. 
And so when you do that, there's going to be less charge associated with it, right? You're not going to feel like someone's just kicked you in the guts when they set a boundary with you. You're not going to feel rejected and abandoned. Uh, And when we take that emotion out of it, you're much more likely to be able to see clearly, not catastrophize and find a workable solution. So that's sort of what I'd offer you there. And again, we do cover this in Healing Anxious Attachment. I've also got my Better Boundaries Masterclass, which is sort of a, a two hour deep dive on all things boundaries. So you can check that out as well. If it's specifically boundary stuff that you are looking for some help with. Okay. I'm going to leave it there for today. I've gone a little bit over time. So if you've stuck with me, thank you. I hope that this has been helpful as always super appreciative. If you can leave a quick review and a rating, if you've enjoyed this episode, it helps to continue to keep the podcast coming and get the word out. Um, and also do make sure that you join that wait list for healing anxious attachment. If you are someone who's anxiously attached and you're wanting to make a change. The course is going to be starting first week of January. So it's a really beautiful time of year as well to sort of turn over a new page um, and start making some real change. So definitely join the wait list if that's something that interests you and you'd like to access that discounted pricing. Uh, But otherwise, thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks guys. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love, and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here, and I hope to see you again soon.